Welcome to Inside Seaweed, the podcast looking deep into the seaweed industry through the stories of pioneers, entrepreneurs, and innovators. I'm Fed de Gobbi, and my guest today is Vincent Dumezel, Senior Advisor on the Ocean to the United Nations Global Compact, as well as Director of the Food Programme at the Lloyd Register Foundation. Both organizations are, by the way, behind the creation of the Global Seaweed Coalition, which I'm sure many of you know and are also members of. Vincent is the author of a new book titled The Seaweed Revolution, How Seaweed Has Shaped Our Past and Can Save Our Future. Vincent has two decades of experience in the food sector, and he has recently turned his focus on the role that seaweed can play in feeding a growing population. Vincent, it was great meeting you in person just last week, and I'm really grateful you took the time to have a chat with me today. Welcome to Inside Seaweed. Thank you very much. I am holding a copy of your new book, which you kindly gave me last week. Uh, The book is titled The Seaweed Revolution. There's probably a million ways I would like to, or we could start talking about this uh, amazing book, but what I'd really like to know is what on earth was going on here. <laughs> yeah, that was that was so much fun. Yeah, yeah. that was a, a last week uh, launch event, a book launch event, which was organized at the Natural History Museum. Uh, who kindly supported us for this book launch, and uh, we had some uh, some. Uh, seaweed enthusiast who came from the Wales, from uh, Hay, where I gave, a, I gave a, a talk at the Hay Festival last year and uh, converted uh, quite a lot of people there. And uh, some enthusiasts there uh, are forming like a core uh, and they were singing together, 16 uh, men singing together, shanty, uh, sea shanties. So they decided to do a, a specific song for, uh, for the seaweed revolution. So it's grown now, the revolution grown now. And uh, that was just an amazing moment where the 16 of them, they came on stage and they sang that song, uh, it was great, uh, supported, uh, featuring uh, John Altman, who I met in A as well last year, uh, who is a, a great saxophonist, uh, he used to play for uh, Jimi Hendrix, Bob Marley, uh, Paul, uh, Paul McCartney, George Harrison, Prince, Michael Jackson, so all, all the biggest names, and he was there uh, on stage uh, with them, so it was just amazing, uh, just an amazing moment, yeah. What a launch, yeah. And we were just saying before start, we started recording, what a venue as well. The, yeah, the national. Yeah, it was very yeah. nice venue. Uh, I had the luck to visit uh, the, the private collection of the uh, of the Natural History Museum. Three hundred thousand uh, seaweeds, uh, notably the one uh, that were collected by uh, by uh, Kathleen Drew Baker, the famous Kathleen Drew Baker, back eighty years ago or more. So a very emotional moment as well. Yeah, yeah, very. I bet it was. Yeah. Did everything go to plan? Uh, was it any surprises? Well, it was even. Even better than planned, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah, the audience was very big. Uh, we had a lot of journalists. Uh, I did eight interviews in a day, uh, starting at 6 a.m. Uh, on BBC. So, yeah, what? <laughs> wow. And ending, uh, the day has ended at uh, one or two uh, in the morning uh, with uh, the shanty men and, uh, and, all, <laughs> and some other enthusiasts in the pub uh, <laughs> yeah. singing. Uh, 
I wish and 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 West songs. So all 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 the best. Yeah, is <laughs> the best. Very nice. Very nice. As a member of the audience, I can confirm it was a really really nice event. Really cool. Yeah. Talking about the book, when you were writing this book, what did you hope it would do? And what what I mean by that is, what effect do you hope this book will have on people? How do you want them to feel after they have done reading? Well, I think. Uh... First of all, I did not decide to write a book. I mean, it, it didn't happen that way. It went like uh, I was uh, I was launching the say the global seaweed, the formerly Safe Seaweed Coalition, uh, in uh, and as it was hosted by the CNRS for, uh, for, uh, at the beginning, and now it's hosted by UN World Compact. I went on radio in France, and I was heard by a publisher who contacted me and asked me to write this book. Uh, the thing is that we had uh, they they wanted to release it quickly, and we had the presidential election. As well, uh, clashing with that, so they gave me uh, four months to write the book. So it was. So first of all, I did not uh, ask myself any question when writing the book. I, I was I was just writing the book <laughs> very quickly. Uh, it was very quick, very fast, and to me that was an opportunity. I mean, at last, the publisher was interested into promoting this series story, and I think it was missing. We had some nice book already. I mean, uh, I love uh, the book from Holly Mortensen. Uh, I love uh, some of the other books that are existing, but there was no like a a global book and telling about the, the challenge uh, that seaweed uh, can uh, can can support addressing. So uh, we are facing big crisis at the moment. Uh, I think our the next generation are children. They are really fed uh, with fears and drama. And my expectation with this book was to give them some hope and uh, solutions. And I think that's all about the book. The book is about solution. We are craving for solution right now. Uh, we are once again uh, we are into drama and fear, which is no good. So we need to move to solution. We need to move to action. There's no time for looking for who is guilty or looking for excuses. We have to get into action. And I think the the storytelling around the seaweed has never been maybe properly made or or, or sufficiently made. So I, I was just willing to, in a very modest way. In a humble way, even from French and arrogant, uh, <laughs> a humble way, try to support uh, that that message, and um, and I keep saying that's a collective book almost to me because I, I, what I did is that I just spoke with many many people, which was my duty anyway because I was building this coalition, so I was to meet with a lot of uh, different seaweed stakeholders. Some growing seaweed, some working on seaweed as a source of food, as a source of packaging, as a source of uh, textile or whatsoever. All the type of uh, textile application, uh, seaweed application we could think of. So I had to speak with them. So I tried to gather their story, and and they kindly shared their story, this story, and I I I used this story in my book. So once again, to me, it's more a, a collective message from these brave pioneers who, for the last decades, Really uh, demonstrated or try to demonstrate at least that seaweed uh, is a great, great resource and maybe the greatest untapped resource we have on the planet. And sometimes it's just all about the packaging, isn't it? In, what I mean by that is the information may be out there, but it's not uh, nicely put together in, in one coherent message. And maybe that's what the book could be doing. Yeah, yeah, I think so as well. And that's a question of time as well. Yes. I mean, uh, I'm sure plenty of people. Uh, wrote the same book or the same message before, but uh, we are nearing, uh, we are closing the the end of this uh, very limited resource we have on land. So it's time to uh, look at the ocean. I think for everyone, it's growing momentum on that. So yeah, I think that was a question of time. And I think my background in food was quite good because I 
I came from the food sector. I, I'm not from the seaweed. I'm not a seaweed uh, a scientist or whatsoever. I, I spent 20 years working in the food sector. And I really came into seaweed with uh, open eyes and a very naive and candid view. So I, I, I learned a lot in a very short time. So I think I was also able to, uh, to explain things in a simple way yeah. for people who are not specialized. And that, that's the objective. And that's one of the best uh, compliments I have about the book is that it makes things easy to understand. And it, 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 it is, a, I mean, uh, last week, uh, Juliet Brody was very positive about the book, which was a, a big uh, achievement for me because she's a very, very, if not the best scientist on seaweed in the UK. And at least she's in charge of seaweed at the Natural History Museum. And she was so positive and telling it it's a, it's a thriller. It's a book I would have liked to write and so forth. And that's... Uh, that's what I, I was I was willing to do at least. That was my um, my objective to uh, to write a book that was not written so far and uh, that that spread the message about how positive seaweed could be. You probably answered this already, but are you getting any particular response or feedback that perhaps you had not anticipated? Oh yeah, a lot. I had never anticipated that it would be so uh, powerful, which is kind of weird because we live in a digital age uh, very much, you know, with a lot of. Uh, uh, social media and uh, and all the webinars and the conference and the Zoom meetings and uh, uh, so we are very in a digital age. But the impact of a book is just amazing. I mean, I I never realized this before that the first of all the aura that you get uh, out of writing a book and the attention the the media and public impact that you have suddenly because you wrote the book. I mean, there may not be many people who read this book, actually, but uh, uh, there are a lot of people talking about the book. And suddenly your your impact is way, way bigger. I mean, I was in France. I was invited by the president to meet with him twice. He launched a strategy uh, for France on seaweed, uh, typically. And the, the report from the engineer from the government who have been working for six months on this strategy starts with following the success of the book, uh, The Seaweed Revolution. In French, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We decided to launch that uh, that report and the strategy, and 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 following that, uh, EU will organize its first uh, Algae Day uh, next October in Paris, uh, which will be the first EU political meeting focusing on seaweed, and we will invite a lot of our stakeholders, a lot of our members, so they can meet not only for Europe, I mean from Asia, from uh, countries where EU uh, algae is already mature, and so they can meet with a political representative there and that event will be kicked off by a declaration from the French Minister of the Sea unveiling the seaweed strategy for France which is I mean once again I mean, that's that's quite a huge impact yes. uh, because you have triggered something at French level and at EU level and hopefully the rest uh, will come and as I expect the impact of the of the of the book will be the same I would never spoke i've spoken with uh with, at, on bbc on uh i mean i have a blog in the economist uh, this uh, this week uh, was invited in new scientist in uh, in uh, in a lot of reviews and uh and on time as well time magazine so i mean that's only because of the book and uh, the, the impact of the book is just amazing which is quite uh, nice i think maybe it's uh, an old uh, <laughs> outdated statement but it sounds good to my ear that the book uh, still has a very, very powerful. Uh, it's very powerful. When you write a book, and you said it, it, it turned out to be quite a quick process, but still quite a thorough process, I would imagine. Just by going through that process and the huge amount of research you have to do, the amount of people you, you talk to, 
you may end up changing yourself in a way and your perspective possibly more than you would the reader. In writing your book, what did you learn about seaweed and the seaweed industry that you took away and, and, and that changed the way you operate or, or think? That's a very good question. I, a lot of you see, uh, because uh, once again, when you write a book, you have to go into the detail. If there's one thing that struck me and, and that strikes me uh, again and again, it's uh, also the, the, the narrative power of uh, the role that seaweed has played in our history. And that's also a feedback I had from seaweed specialists, which is very good. They like the book. Most of them, at least, or the other one, maybe they have not said, uh, <laughs> they have not told anything. Yeah. But, uh, but they like the book because it, it gathers all the, um, all the experience in the history around seaweed. Why all seaweed was used to uh, produce gunpowder, all seaweed was used to cure disease, uh, to support uh, starvation, all seaweed was used to prevent scurvy uh, in, uh, with the Nordic, all seaweed as uh, or the kelp highway has guided uh, our ancestors to settle in America. And all these stories, like this is the story of Kathleen Drubaker, or seaweed-supported woman in, in Zanzibar, like old and modern stories that illustrate the role that seaweed has played in the past and how seaweed has shaped our past and can really support our future in a sustainable way. And I think that's very powerful. And, and that's... Um, I remember I was invited uh, to do a, a radio show, like it was a four minutes uh, radio show, and it was pre-recorded. And um, a guy told me, yeah, I'd like you to select one of your stories and, and tell me the story. And I did one, and he was like, wow, that's so cool. Can we do another one? I said, yeah. <laughs> we did another one, another one. We did eight of them in wow. there. We did eight stories. So I'm every other week on this radio <laughs> telling stories about series, like the series Chronicles or whatsoever. And I think that kind of, Stories, historic, uh, yeah, tales somehow. That's very powerful, and they are true, and and you can refer, you can check that. And I discovered the role that seaweed has played. That was new to me. I thought it was like something new, but it's not. I mean, it was. I mean, that's where seaweed. Uh, it all started. I mean, the life on Earth started in the ocean. So yeah, that's great. I mean, that's what I learned, and that was is very powerful to convey the story to people who are new to that, and uh, and and uh, that's what is cool. Absolutely. It's, it's a really nice way to get people engaged, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, from, yeah. from your point of view, did, did hearing and learning about all these stories of the Kelp Highway blew my mind? And they were talking about more than 15,000 years ago. Did yeah. that give you validation in a sense that actually, yes, this, this really is important. This really is part of our uh, history as humanity. Oh, yeah, sure. It did. I mean, it did. Yeah, yeah. Showing that... Uh... Our brain has mutated because of polyunsaturated fatty acids that are only in, uh, present in seaweed and, and, and fish oil. I mean, that's so important to understand, and it's there. So, yeah, it has changed uh, the way I perceive seaweed, for sure. Uh, we, I think it, it demonstrates that we have lost that connection with the ocean back 12,000 years ago when we started agriculture in Mesopotamia somehow, but that the connection was very strong before. And that because of the crisis we are facing right now, we need to reconnect with seaweed. We need to reconnect with the ocean, which is once again the initial matrix, the source of life on the planet. That confirmed that statement to me very, very, very heavily. Um, so I think that was uh, the key learning to me. Why do you think we lost that connection? Oh, there are several reasons for that. We lost that connection because... Agriculture uh, was uh, somehow, at least as what story uh, that what we we are we learn in history, 
was made up was was started at a large scale in Mesopotamia, so in the Mediterranean region, which is not a very good sea to grow seaweed because it's closed, it's warm, it's polluted. So it's not good. I mean, uh, you 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 may, and especially at this time, you can imagine with the development of big cities. I mean, agriculture has developed big cities, a lot of pollution. So you can imagine the impact with invasive seaweed, just like we have right now with sargassum, in a closed sea like this one, with very little uh, cleaning, of course, process at this time. So all uh, the waste uh, were ending up in the water without any uh, cleaning process. So it was quite hard, I think, on, uh, on the Mediterranean region at this time and seaweed. And there's, um, I don't know if it's Aristotle or Virgil who wrote that uh, the ocean uh, doesn't like seaweed. Uh, he hates so much seaweed, the ocean, that he's vomiting seaweed on the shore. There's a, 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 a say about it. But that, I think that's their perception at this time. You know, just like uh, I will be in Brittany next, uh, next week. Uh, to talk about green uh, seaweed and, and, and try to change the perspective of the people there because they see that as a, as a problem of the pollution. But it's not a problem of pollution. It's a, it's a symptom of a pollution. It's not the same. It's not a problem. It's a symptom of a problem, which is the, uh, the overuse of the land. So I think the Med region may have suffered from that quite heavily when they started agriculture. And the problem is that uh, the Greek and the Roman, which inherited from this uh, uh, Mediterranean uh, culture, were very influential for the rest of the history. I mean, they conquered the rest of Europe, and typically they ended up in Scandinavia, where they removed... We know that Scandinavia were using a lot of seaweed. That's how they settled in, in Iceland. That's how they prevented scurvy once again to travel that far. But when the Greek and the Roman, or their descendant, uh, ended up in Scandinavia, they removed that, and they, in, they implemented agriculture, massive agriculture, and so forth. And, and so the same was done in uh, America, which is why the First Nation did have uh, a tradition around seaweed. But when the Europeans came there, they removed that tradition. And so the same was done with the Maori in New Zealand. And we know that with the First Nation in, uh, in Australia as well. So everywhere the Europeans have been, they removed that tradition. And it's, I think it's, it's not random at all. If the last uh, country that is extensively using seaweed, Japan, is the only one in the 19th century that was not colonialized by Europe, actually. So uh, that's the only place in the 19th century that, was, that has not been colonialized by European. And I think they kept their tradition. So I think, of course, there's always multiple reasons. But, uh, but I think the, the, yeah, I think the European uh, uh, culture has not helped to keep that link, has focused a lot on land. And the other thing, was that land was quite enough for many, many years. And uh, we did not have, uh, and not only it's not enough, but we are facing uh, some big, big problems because of land agriculture, intensive agriculture. So, uh, and we know that uh, our food system as a whole are the biggest contributor to uh, global warming, to soil depletion, to water scarcity, to, uh, to even modern slavery somehow. So we need to find new solutions. We need to find a new way. That's why we are coming back to seaweed, I think. I hope so, at least. Quick one, guys. I wanted to let you know about the new Inside Seaweed newsletter. Uh, would you like to get a super short email from me every month with three actionable insights for your seaweed business? I will search the seaweed industry for the most important lessons, the most useful conclusions and relevant actions condensed 
into a half page that I will share with you each month. It's really easy to sign up and just as easy to cancel. So if you'd like to give it a try, head over to InsightSeaweed.com. I'm going to go into, I'll, I'll dive into the sort of business side of things. That's okay. And, and yeah. I might start with a slightly unfair analysis of the situation, but the general feedback I get from the industry being seaweed entrepreneurs, startups, or business leaders is that essentially nobody is making money yet. Is this a gross oversimplification or is there some truth in it? I'm afraid there is some truth in it, but we are in a learning curve and it's going fast. I would say that I would say that's why we are with the coalition that we have formed, we are trying to support a, a, an investment fund with a blended finance model mm -hmm. where the public support and charity support should de-risk some of the activities and support the private investment somehow. Because uh, indeed, I mean, we are starting something from scratch. So how do you want to be competitive in that sense? I mean, it's, it took us 12,000 years <laughs> to be efficient in, uh, with land agriculture. We're not going to do that overnight with seaweed, you know? And, and I think... Yeah. Uh, we don't have 12,000 years, either. Yeah, exactly. We don't have 12,000 years. But if you look at it, on the other hand, in Japan, in Korea, they are highly profitable. So your, your statement is true, only in a Western way, yeah. because uh, the most profitable uh, aquaculture in the world is the nori aquaculture in Japan, by very far. They are the most profitable aquaculture in the world, even more than salmon. So, and I think that's, that, that tells the story right. I mean, there are some good business to do, but you have to. We need some Kathleen Drew Baker, who uh, created this, uh, somehow contributed to, uh, to develop this uh, this noric algo culture in Japan. We, we need the equivalent there, here. We need to cultivate nori, we need to cultivate palmaria, uh, we need to cultivate porphyras, obviously. All of this so we can be profitable. I mean, if we keep cultivating only one species where we have relatively low yields with uh, limited applications, for sure we won't be profitable. And also the fact is that we are, I think the problem is that we are in a transition period where the seaweed cultivation still compete with wild uh, uh, collection of seaweed. So it's very hard because you have something that costs money and some, uh, competing with something that is free. So it, it's very hard once again. You, you, normally it doesn't last very long because at some point the stock will get extincted. So we have to stop doing wild gathering or at least do it in a very, very... Uh, just like regulated just way, like, me, just like, yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Does, does it does it come very, down to uh, legislation then, and and or local? Yeah, I think it does. It does. I mean, we, I mean, uh, just like hunting, you know. Of course, and in in Europe, it's regulated already. But just like hunting, we have, we need to be very careful and and limit as much as we can. But not only in Europe, because we know that in in the rest of uh, of uh, the world, what's problem is that seaweed from Chile and so forth they are very cheap. And, and same with China. So we also are facing the, the problem of the, of the globalization, which may have not been an issue back 12,000 years ago, but that is very much of an issue right now. So there's multiple challenges indeed for this civil industry. And it's true that in the Western world, very little business are highly profitable, which is a problem for investors because impact investors, they feel like it's something positive to impact in civil, but they also feel like it's not gonna get multipliers uh, like 10 times or, or, or 20 times within five years. Absolutely. So we need, to, uh, we need to support that with a new type of model in terms of finance, in terms of uh, funding uh, this effort. 
where public and, and philanthropic companies, charities, should support this investment effort. And I think I'm quite sure in, within 10, ta- 10 years' time, it will be highly profitable. But for sure, the ones that are supporting that, uh, they are... You know, I was, I was last week visiting Notpla. In, uh, it, it was quite an awakening call for me because these people, they are based 100 in Notpla, the ones who are producing uh, seaweed-based packaging, you know, trying to replace plastic with seaweed. And they are located 100 meters away from the place where plastic was invented back 150 years ago. Uh, Alexander Parks is the guy who invented and made up plastic uh, back when... And he was quite young when he uh, invented plastic, but he never seen the application of his invention of, of plastic uh, over his lifetime because it took more than 70 years to develop. get uh, mature. Yeah. yeah, to get developed and mature and um, profitable and so forth. And the very... The very first years, the plastics he was making was used for wig and stuff like this, and it was setting fire. It was so unstable that it was burning suddenly, so it was very unsafe, obviously. So, yeah, so, you know, it takes time. I mean, you cannot do that overnight. And, and the thing is that, we, that, which is very long also, is to build a generation of seaweed specialists. If you look in, in Europe in general, we have no curses on seaweed. I mean, if you are 18 years old and you want to work in seaweed in the future, what do you study? Okay, you study marine biology maybe, and then after five or six years, you try to find uh, being an intern and so forth and trying to specialize yourself somehow. But we need, we need to have courses. I mean, we need to have curriculum specialized in seaweed so that we can have, I mean, people who are 20 years old, 18 years old, 21 years old, getting straight into the seaweed business and then after 10 years, there will be experience and they can really uh, drive the change. But that will take time because we are talking about building curriculum, promoting them to a new generation, getting this new generation experience. So it's not something that is done overnight. On that basis, from the point of view of somebody that might be getting into uh, the seaweed industry now as, a, as an entrepreneur or a, a new startup, what considerations should they bear in mind when starting in, in the industry? Is there any adjustment or any any contingency they they should you know? Apply? Of course, yeah, of course. I think, but I'm quite I'm quite confident. I think the next generation is very well aware about the crisis that we are facing, much more than we were. And that's a good thing. I thought when I I love to get because of what I just said, I love to get to speak in high school or in universities uh, to young people. And I always have this question about. How can we make sure that we do not reproduce the mistakes we did on land in the ocean? Monoculture, intensive farming, GMO, and so forth. So we need that in their mind. That's typically the type of contingency they need to have. How can we do things in a regenerative way? How can we build a permaculture model in the ocean? Not a monoculture model. Do not reproduce what was done. And that's where you need to be innovative as well. You need to, uh, you need to be creative, uh, which is quite cool for them. But I, I trust them. I think they have a different mindset than ours and that they are less, uh, yeah, they're far more aware than we were for all these things. What further advice do you have for somebody looking to start working in the seaweed industry? Or you might say, join the seaweed revolution. <laughs> How can they best... Uh, get, 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 join the seaweed coalition. The global seaweed coalition is the first start. The first uh, thing. Yeah, well, get, get some experience. I mean, for sure, on, on, on uh, marine biology, 
we need but but of course there's not we don't need only scientists we need some people which are skilled in communication in logistics in in engineering as well or to uh, the biorefinery part of the CBDs maybe the keystone for profitability uh, we did not mention that but or, or to use seaweed in, and, and, and valorize them in different products not just only one in the end uh, which make the, will make the profitability far easier do you, do you wanna can I ask you to just elaborate a little bit on that point because I think it's a key one well yeah I mean so far we are uh, we are only using uh, seaweed mostly using for one product even in Asia and I think we don't really know how to use seaweed for different applications or to use seaweed for biomaterial uh, plus biostimulant, plus animal feed, uh, and so forth. Use the different compounds and valorize them individually. And then, of course, some compounds for cosmetic and for pharma uh, that can be used. And I think that's where is the key of profitability. There's very little company doing that already. Algaia in France is, uh, is, uh, is quite advanced into that. We have some others in the world, but there's very, very little, and they are very, very early in the stage. And... And the thing is that most of it is done through chemistry, which is not the ideal way. So we need, there are more and more uh, startups working on the enzymatic way to extract the compound that you need, which is, if you think about it, exactly what is done in our belly or in the belly of the fish. I mean, they have a microbial activity there, which is extracting the compound that they need and reject the rest of it. So that's exactly what we need to do. We need to stop using solvent and so forth to do it because that will never fly and people will not be willing to invest into that. So we need to understand uh, the power uh, of the enzyme, uh, the power of the microbes, which is, I think that's a totally different topic, but the big new thing of our century is uh, understanding the microbiome, understanding the power of microbes and uh, and, and our capacity to sequence DNA today offers us a way to understand that that how the microbiome is working and how to do things much more naturally than we were doing before using the power of microbes. So I think seaweed uh, will benefit from that. So it's a bit of a digression, but I think this enzymatic uh, uh, process uh, is of high interest for the seaweed industry and for the multiple valorization of this product. That's my perception, at least. So that's typically a question that needs to be addressed also by the next generation. And, uh, and where we need science, we need them to get interested into that. But I think, yeah, the profitability of the civil industry and the resilience as well really comes from, uh, from this possibility to rely on multiplication, multiple applications at the same time. And that's where it will become cost-efficient to use biomaterial made out of seaweed because then the compound that you will use will be a waste, actually. You remove the nutrients, you remove the biostimulants, and then... Uh, you remove even the alginate, the pure alginate, I mean the good one, and then you have a waste and you make bio-packaging out of it. And there's no, almost no cost. I think that's where we should go, but we are quite far from there uh, right now. There's a long way to go. Uh, we hope it will be a few years, but uh, it will not be a few months. What do you think it's sure. between us and, and getting there? Is it mainly research and, and uh, refining the science? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that mainly research. I think our understanding in seaweed is very limited. I mean, if you look at, uh, in France, for instance, we have 550 researchers working on wheat production, on the, on the wheat, which we cultivate for the last 12,000 years. Okay, 550 researchers. In France, we have the second biggest maritime country in the world. We have 22 times more sea than we have land. And we have only 70 researchers 
7-0, working on 12,000 12, types of series that are very different and that we try to uh, cultivate for the last decades, I mean, if not years, the last years. So, I mean, there's a gap in science here. We need to have much more researcher, which is why there's a call for me to, uh, to become a, a marine biologist uh, if you are young and you want to save the world, because there's an untapped potential there. We know more what's happening at the surface of the moon than we know about what's happening in the deep ocean. So you want to save the world and make sense in your life? Become a marine biologist and a seaweed uh, uh, <laughs> specialist. Yeah. You write in the book about the importance of coming together and collaborate share ideas and avoid duplicating work, which I think is such an important point. I fear there's a lot of that going on. At an individual level or, or business level, how would you suggest entrepreneurs and seaweed businesses go about building effective collaborations and partnerships? Well, that's the exact objective of our coalition, which is hosted by the United Nations now, so it can be very neutral and holistic, you know, you are not owned by any private capital or whatsoever. We have a, a no hidden agenda. So the objective of the coalition was to say, okay, we have a lot of pioneers, brave pioneers around the world who are trying to innovate in seaweed, but they are working in isolation. They reinvent the wheel and they are duplicating efforts indeed. So let's get them together in a, in a collaboration mode so they can start to share. And because We know it's also a highly competitive uh, business model where profitability is uh, very low. So we, they, they, they are quite unlikely to collaborate, uh, naturally speaking. So we decided to work on safety because safety is, uh, has a strong convening power. It's a, it's a non-competitive topic. I mean, no one has benefit of having a safety issue, a food safety issue with TV. It will be detrimental to the entire industry. So we need to make sure it's safe. Same for the environment. If seaweed creates problem in the environment, it will be detrimental to the entire industry. So that if there's a topic that we can work together, uh, that's this one. So that's why we created that coalition in order to host for free. I mean, it's, uh, the coalition is up to all our members. Uh, there's no membership fees. We want, uh, because we know also that seaweed uh, companies are not very rich in general. So we decided to make it free and host them and create a community tool So they can share knowledge, they can communicate. That's something we should do better, actually. It's, a, it's an action for us, a coalition. We have limited resources and time, and we are a bit uh, overwhelmed by the success and the momentum of the civic topic uh, internationally. So we don't have enough time to, money to, uh, to manage and to moderate our, our community, but it would be good to see them collaborating. Then we need to go through working uh, group who would advocate for Uh, okay, promoting a single regulation for seaweed at, at worldwide level. As we did with FAO, it has worked well. Seaweed will have a regulation in the Codex Alimentarius in the next two years or so, based on a, a collective uh, uh, work from, uh, from the seaweed specialist. So we should have, this, should have this collective action, trying to disseminate uh, studies as well on research and publication, trying to translate what is available in, in Chinese. It's stupid, or Japanese. It's stupid, but there's so much available there, which has just not been translated. So it's there already. So that kind of thing, I mean, uh, we need to make a cross-cultural effort as well, trying to understand, uh, understand the best practices as well, build uh, some standards together to demonstrate everyone that cultivating seaweed is safe for the environment and overcome uh, the terrible process that we face right now to get a license 
to operate in the ocean. So demonstrating to everyone the positive uh, environmental benefit that seaweed cultivation creates will alleviate a lot this process of uh, this difficult process of getting a, a license. So all of this it needs to be done collectively. A single voice will never make it. So we need to do it collectively. That's the exact objective of this coalition. That is why we are getting together in order to be more powerful. We want to be activists. We want. We are. I'm, I'm defining myself as a civil activist. We want to be an activist in the positive sense, trying to support uh, regulation, support meaningful regulation, not this illy patchwork of regulation that we have right now for seaweed. So, uh, and, and, and then we can move things ahead. And same from re for research and same for the rest. We need to collaborate and share ideas, share knowledge. I want to go back. I, I'm really glad you mentioned the, you know, collaboration, particularly, you know, intercontinental collaboration and, and not wasting all the knowledge that may have been accumulated over yeah. years and years. And, and, and we may just be reinventing the wheel at times. Uh, I want to go back to the, the, the sort of the collaboration and partnership more of a, I'll make it a bit more personal if that's okay. And again, this may be a dead end, but I would just suggest I approach building collaborations and partnership within the scope of the seaweed, uh, the global seaweed coalition, if that's relevant, but as a content creator or whatever, you know, in, in the seaweed industry, how would I, how would you suggest I approach building those kind of uh, relationships? Well, I think the best is to come with a, a topic, an issue that you are facing yeah. and come to us and say, okay, we want to address that topic collectively. I'm fine to support a working group. If you have some funding available to support that, then we can work together and, and you build the community around us. You let me know who are the right contacts because I really don't know anyone uh, who is facing this kind of problem. But maybe you do, and I'm sure we do actually because we have quite an extensive uh, network in this industry now. So bring me the, the network, uh, bring me the, 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 the firepower, bring me some fun possibly, and then let's try to address together that issue because that's really a pain in the neck for me be polite, uh, in my daily job <laughs> yeah. and that prevent uh, profitability. So I need to address that, but I cannot do that on my own. I need, I need support of a, of a group uh, and then all together we can build that for you. That's typically what we are into and we, can, we already funded 25 projects going in that kind of direction around the world in 20 different countries. We are trying to work collectively for the benefit of addressing one specific question that seaweed industry has. So that's, uh, that's the best way it is. And we have doing co pro 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 proposal, of course, it's not only proactive, but you can come proactively to us as a coalition and say, I have this problem. I think that's not only me. It's the rest of them. They have the same problem. Let's address that collectively and let's, let's make it happen. Fantastic. Uh, I can, I can support, but I cannot do it on my own. Yeah. And then we will be here to support and to, and to build something around yeah. it. And we'll put some, uh, information in the show notes for people that might sure, want yeah. to do just that. Let's explore something slightly different and maybe we touched on it already and I'm going to give you my permission to go on a bit of a rant if that's where this takes you. What is your biggest frustration with the industry at the moment? My biggest frustration with the industry at the moment, um, I think the, the, the licensing issue is a big frustration because we are not, but I think that all the theory specialists know that we, we have such a, a, a large landscape to cultivate and, and uh, it's not getting fast enough. That I keep saying that to government, I keep saying that to authorities, the biggest, and I think that's not only my frustration, I think that the frustration from everyone I met in this, uh, in this I mean, in, in a cultivation space at least. So you're seeing this in Europe, 
in the US, everywhere. Yeah, except in Asia, where in Africa, in Asia, where it's very easy. Europe and US, uh, it's, I mean, it's easier to, to pump oil uh, from the ocean than to grow a regenerative seaweed, you know. So uh, that's quite a crazy process. That's quite frustrating to me because we cannot uh, really uh, demonstrate. And the lack of science as well is also something that is quite frustrating to me because uh, everything is very slow because we are lacking scientists who can really make things uh, progress. Any idea, if anything comes to mind, in terms of how or what can be done to overcome these obstacles? Yeah, I tell you, I mean, uh, building standards, building... Uh, best practices together, demonstrating scientifically the positive impact and the limited, if any, uh, negative impact that it could have, measure what it should be, uh, proper monitoring, using uh, new technologies, remote sensors and so forth, of the, of the possible impact that seaweed may have, seaweed cultivation may have on the environment and so forth. But the solutions are there, I think. We just need to activate that uh, all together. Because once again, it can only be a collective work. I mean, if, if just one person is doing that, in, it, will not, it will never work. But uh, working collectively to build uh, something. Do we need more people in the industry? And, and is that one thing that maybe your book can do in, in terms of shining the light and attracting? Yeah, we do need more people. And that's clearly one of the objectives of my book, as I mentioned, which is to, uh, to attract more and more people, more young people, hopefully young scientists, young engineers who are already supporting this, uh, this new industry. And it's working well. That's where I say the uh, power of the book is quite uh, crazy. Because uh, when I'm going in conferences in France, now I can meet with young people who say, well, I was in sales or whatsoever, and I moved because I read your book and I wanted to get into seaweed. And now I'm a, a salesperson for that seaweed company. So that, that's where it's very influential a book, which is what I was saying about the power of the book. But uh, yeah, definitely we need more people. We need more people to sell. We need more people to tell the story. We need more people to communicate. We need more people to grow seaweed. We need more people to work in the logistics and the supply chain. We need supply chain specialists. We need regulators. We need lobbyists. Yeah, we need all of them. So yeah, we need, we need, uh, we need much more than just uh, the few of us for a, for a revolution. I thought that might be the case. I've got another, uh, one last question before we close. I... There's a chapter in the book which is dedicated to seaweed as food, which I know is a topic is very close to, to you and your experience. Uh, there's a statistic in there that really caught my attention. I'm going to paraphrase. It's, it, it talks about the vast majority of cultivated seaweed obviously growing in Asia, and then 70% of this being for the food sector. Then you go on to explain that most of this is then exported to Europe, where it is incorporated without us being aware uh, of it, for, for the most part, into many food products. So we actually eat seaweed every day in large quantities and might not even realize it. So with this premise, why do seaweed farmers in the West struggle to find outputs for their seaweed biomass? But because uh, the, 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 I mean, what you mentioned is the caraginan and, uh, and, the, and a bit the agar-agar, but mostly the caraginan that is produced in Southeast Asia and East Africa, which is indeed... Uh, and that's why, I mean, it's, it's very, when, when you say 70% is used for food, you have to, uh, to subdivide this into groups. I mean, North Asia will be used for, seaweed is used as a food, as a food material. I mean, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, seaweed is food. If you go South Asia, Southeast Asia and, and, and East Africa a bit, then seaweed is a source of a texturing agent, a gelling agent that is massively used in the food industry in the West. That's a totally different uh, ball game. 
because uh, we are using a very small piece of the seaweed, very small part of the seaweed, one of the compound, uh, and it's quite a commodity actually. So the prices are very, very low, which is uh, something important because you can make money out of it. And even them in Southeast Asia and Africa, they don't make really money out of it right now. But if you grow that in the West with uh, labor costs, forget about it. So that's not an option for us to grow Karaginan in the West. I mean, it will. the price of Karaginan is way lower and we are not yet able to valorize the rest of the seaweed. So it's, it's a bit stupid, but that's a situation where we should be able, as I mentioned, to, be, uh, to valorize the rest of the seaweed. And so all, all this, I think the model we should keep uh, for Europe is the one that we have in North Asia, and notably in Korea, for instance, because I think a, a Japanese is a very traditional model and, uh, and, uh, and China is a kind of a low labor cost model as well. So Korea is a typical model I think we would like to replicate with uh, some machine that are already used for cultivation, a bit of a, not an industrialized process, but a, a, a bit more efficient than what we see uh, in, in the rest of the world. And seaweed is used as a high value added product uh, because it's food, because it's nori, because it's a, a nutritional food and so forth. That's the model we should have, which does not mean that we should use that only for food, but if we use that for something else, we should valorize it through different ways. And that's what, not what is done in, uh, in, uh, in Southeast Asia, where seaweed is used, just the red seaweed there, the red tropical seaweed, are just used for Karaginan. And also, the answer to your question is that uh, tropical seaweed uh, is uh, well named. Uh, it grows in the tropical sea. <laughs> yeah, which is not <laughs> Europe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And these red seaweed that are full of Karaginan, they are very um, well cultivated in uh, Tanzania, in, uh, in, in Philippines and in Indonesia. It might be a, a bit more uh, complex in Devon uh, or in Ireland or in, uh, in Scotland. Any any so, example so, uh, of that being grown in the uh, Mediterranean at all? No, 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 no. We don't grow seaweed in Mediterranean region. Not yet. No, yet. Uh, once again, I don't think. Not bath. I don't think that's a good idea. Once again, it's, it's a very it's more of a lake. It's, it's, the, the Med region, the Med Sea is more like a lake, more than the, the real sea. So it's very close, very warm. It's getting warmer and warmer. So, uh, and the risk of pollution, we, we saw that with the Colerpa, who escaped from uh, Monaco some years ago and destroyed uh, the entire ecosystem. But we have to be very cautious in the Mediterranean Sea with, uh, with growing seaweed. I do believe that Morocco and, and Portugal will do it, but more on the Atlantic side of their country. Tunisia is growing seaweed, but mostly in uh, Laguna, in order as a bioremediation tool to uh, absorb nutrients and remove them. But I don't see open sea uh, seaweed farming med region in the next uh, month or year. Okay. Vincent, time's up. How can people get their hands on the book? Well, I think it should be available in any bookstore in, uh, in UK at least. It will be launched in the US uh, in September, in Australia over the summer. And it's available online, obviously, on uh, Amazon uh, UK, uh, at least internationally. Uh, not that I'm uh, specifically happy to promote Amazon, but uh, <laughs> but that's the only way I'm afraid to get it uh, internationally, uh, globally right now, uh, to get it delivered. So, um, yeah. Is there an audiobook version? There will be, very soon, uh, an audiobook version. What is hilarious to me 
is that the publisher decided to make the, the story told by a French actor speaking English because they wanted to keep that thick French <laughs> accent. Okay. Uh, I don't know where they got the idea from. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that's hilarious to me. So the, the, the Seaweed Revolution does have a thick French accent. There you go. Uh, even, uh, when, even as an audiobook. <laughs> there you go. Well, highly, highly recommend it. Go check it out, guys. Is there anything else you would like to add that maybe we haven't covered? Or any final message or call to action? Well, yeah, I think we have a, we have a great message to convey. I think we all have to work around us, whatever is our position. I mean, each time we eat, we drink, we are uh, uh, environmental activists. We are we are driving the change and shape the world we want for tomorrow. In our daily discussion, we need to support this uh, this uh, uh, almost neolithic revolution, this possibly neolithic revolution, to move from. Uh, uh, an industry purely fueled by the land to move to a regenerative industry incorporating the ocean. And I think that's so important. So we are all drivers of this change. And uh, and let's talk about it around us. And let's eat seaweed. Let's use seaweed product. That's what I keep saying. And let's work together. In terms of spreading the word, have you got any other talks or book launches on your calendar at the moment? No, I will work on a, on a, on a, chill, on a version for children. So uh, nice. on the story for on a, on a comic book for kids, basically for eight eight years to twelve, because I share, I think if you want to to influence the world of tomorrow, the best is really to have uh, stories for the kids and to show them how good seaweed could be, so they can uh, end up with the same perception of seaweed as we have, <laughs> as a slimy, uh, smelly <laughs> uh, and inconvenience. Exactly, they should see that seaweed is very sexy and cool. So yeah, working on a, on a book for kids, I have a. Another uh, comic book for adults, I mean, uh, more like an educative one. And I think uh, my publisher wants me to work on a second book, so I should uh, should think about it at some point. On a second book? Yeah, but the topic is still to be found. And um, there's a documentary that is cooking as well, uh, but it takes time. Very nice. Thank you so much for taking the time. It's been an absolute pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. And thank you guys for listening. I'm Fed, and see you next time. Thank you very much. Bye.